Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerd at Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And we are joined by Peter Segel. Peter, before we start, I know normally we listen to voicemails at the end, but there's just this one little piece that we have to listen to before. I I, I can only anticipate its quality. All right, here Here we go. Well, how did you like that episode, Peter Segel? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I just yeah, I feel like Wow, that was that was that Lord Baelish himself? It was, that it was sure awesome. Was. <laughs> I, I I want everyone to know who was so concerned for mm-hmm. my being down so much in mm-hmm. the last episode that I enjoyed it. Hooray. So those of you who could not enjoy last night's episode of our mutually favorite TV series worried that I perhaps was not enjoying it. I want you all to know everything's fine. I liked it. Yay. Oh, good. And we are, of course, talking about Season 6, Episode 9 of Game of Thrones, the episode called Battle of the Bastards. So let's start in one of the only two locations that happen in this episode, Marine, where I thought maybe this was going to be an episode that was all at Winterfell when I saw the title. Mm. But man, we got some pretty fun stuff in Marine. We did. Yes. Dracarys. Yeah. Yeah. Could, uh, Could Drogon the dragon hear her? It seems that they're really in sync now, you yeah, know? Like, you know, they really seem to... There was no, like, you know, dragon calm thing going on. She speaks into a little microphone and, you know, the dragon has a little head... I, you know. I don't know if it's just my new large television, but I thought that... Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just the fire CGI in general I yeah. just find to be lacking. And really? I don't, like, I can't make fire CGI, so maybe yeah. I don't have a yeah, right to be Yeah, why don't you try it? it? Here, why don't you pull out your phone and use your fire app and see what you can do? It would, the thing that bugged me, and something has to bug me, otherwise what would I talk about, mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, she, they only burned one ship. Yeah, but, but that's because th- they wanted the rest of them. Right. right? And, and as we found out when uh, Tyrion then says, well, thank you for the ships. She likes ships. Yeah. It did strike me as odd, like, oh, they just burned that one big ship and all the other extra, ones. Extra, extra crispy. Extra, extra crispy. Yes. I'd like, the, I'd like the, that coating, please. And um, all the other ships presumably went, whoops, you yeah. give up. Yeah. Should they have shown that? Should they have indicated that everybody else was terrified instantly into submission? I think that part of why it worked for me is that they showed that the slave army ran away when given the opportunity. Because, again, these masters are filling their ships and their crews with people who are not fighting for themselves or some sense of loyalty. They're fighting because they must because they're slaves. Right. So I think seeing three dragons turn your pals to the left or right of your ship extra, extra crispy would mean that the same thing happened that happened to the unsullied that were with the wise masters, which is they were like, peace out, and just yeah. ran away, <laughs> which I kind of loved how quickly they were like, bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. So did, uh, I even watched it twice, and I still don't quite remember. So the scene with the wise masters begins like, we we want your surrender. We'll sell your slaves. She'll leave, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then while they're having that conversation, is that when Daenerys flies over with the dragon and, and, uh, and parboils the ship? No, Daenerys was standing there looking like with her weird placid face that kind of drives me crazy. Yeah. And then Drogon comes in. You see him in the background kind of flying around. And then she jumps on him and then the other dragons bust out. Right. Yeah. Who seemed very eager to, to join forces with their brother? Yeah. Cousin? 
Siblings, Who knows? Right? Siblings? They were born, Who knows? born of the same nest. Dragon bro. Dragon bro. And, and <laughs> happily do what they were presumably psychically told. Right, yes. Daenerys seems to be much more in tune with all the dragons at this point. The one thing that I thought was slightly lacking in the realisticness of this dragon scene. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about was, that. Uh, I mean, if you recall in Harry Potter, when they used the dragon yes. who's been tied up in the belly of Gringotts yes. bank to yes. break free. Yes. The dragon who hasn't been able to fly or really move around much yeah. in a long time has a little trouble at first getting yeah. going because his muscles have maybe atrophied a bit. <laughs> but these dragons have been tied up and are just fine. They're good uh, to go. Of all our all our nerdy complaints, you may have, have taken the house cup <laughs> for nerdiest. Well, yes, fine. But according to the... Pre- <laughs> but I think that perhaps these dragons should have had more stretching. I, I, for... <laughs> I cite the case of Gringotts Dragon versus <laughs> Harry Potter. Well, yes. Um, here's the thing, though, in terms of a larger plot issue, which is that the dragons had been established way early on as, like, the ultimate weapon in this world. If you have dragons, you can do anything like, for example, conquer Westeros with a small army, as uh, Aegon the Conqueror did so many centuries before. And even though the dragons were revealed at the very end of season one and the end of book one, there have been all of these reasons why the dragons weren't useful yet. They weren't big enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Daenerys didn't know how to control them. Mm-hmm. They, she couldn't let them out, right? And all of this was to keep what has now happened from happening, which is Daenerys has three full-size dragons who do what she wants, which means that really she wins. Yeah, she has an air force and no one else does. Exactly. I was thinking about that. She's air supremacy, as they used to say. Does it feel cheap to you guys? Like, I don't know, the whole psychic connection thing is like, oh, when did that happen? Well, that's always been been hinted at. Right, but I mean, she had to lock them up because she couldn't communicate or, with or control them. But right. now it's good. They're, yeah, they're cool. all's good. Like yeah. you know, I just it, like they, it still I mean, felt a little bit like, you know, we could have had less time of Tyrion awkwardly talking in small council and a little more like actual setup to what makes this meaningful beyond just the fact that like oh, Danny wins now. Well, that's know? I think that's why I think that the reason they delayed it and the reason they just sort of kept up coming up with reasons is to keep this from happening because now, like I said, who can stand before her? White Walkers? I mean, I, I don't know what the obstacle is going to be now. I guess. Now, so, now that it's established, she, they do what she says. Trisha, before you had said that maybe you were thinking that Danny was going to be the, the villain in this scenario. I still think you that still think so. It's arguable that she's actually heading towards becoming the Mad King, mm-hmm. a Mad King figure. She's a conqueror. We keep hearing words about her that are more and more violent, and yeah. it's about her reign and being a conqueror and all these things. And you remember, yeah, what, you know, why is she enlisting all these people to die, to kill other people so that she can sit on this dumb chair? It's starting to feel like Danny a, doesn't really have anyone's interest at heart other than her own, like, hunger for power because when things like slavery are, you know, I, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like necessarily... The breaker of change is doing much breaking of change. Like she's just putting people from one form of servitude into another. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree. I also feel like I just haven't seen enough character development out of her to really want to cheer for her. Well, she's become this season, especially pretty much ever since she was kidnapped in the in, mm-hmm. or, or by the dragon or flown away, I should say, and then kidnapped. So I guess that works. Uh, she hasn't had any other character development than right. I am Daenerys Stormborn, Breaker of Chains. Rah, I'm rah, going rah. to kick your ass. Yeah. That's basically all she's had to say this entire season. Yeah. She said it to the the leaders of the Dothraki. She said it to just about everybody. And that's who she is now. So I think maybe if you're going to complain about her this season, you kind of have to complain about 
what led to her. I think that if, if, if Benioff and Weiss were sitting here and they would say, character development, what are you talking about? When she started, she was a 17-year-old girl. Now she's potentially the queen of the entire world. What more character development do you want? Well, I got it in that follow-up scene with Yara yes, and Theon. absolutely. That's when I thought we were turning the corner to yep. seeing her be more strategic and to seeing what kind of Westeros and Seven Kingdoms maybe she would run, which, you know, Tyrion says... If you give them their independence, everybody's going to want their independence. And she's like, well, they can ask and I will listen and I will do what seems the most strategically viable. Um, Also, I labeled this episode based on that scene and then the very end of the episode, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I labeled it in my head the uh, Lady Smirking episode (laughs) because between Daenerys and and Yara and then later Sansa, there was just some really powerful smirking going on. It wouldn't be, but Lady Smirking could be a Game of Thrones name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lady, Lady, Smirk. Lady Smirking, Smirking of Sardonic Hall. <laughs> no. Yeah, I really loved the interaction between Danny and Yara, partly because I think, you know, so often the show has separate characters existing in their own places, and it's always such a delight to see them together interacting. Yes. And that line Danny had about how all of our fathers in this room were terrible Happy people. Happy Father's Day. I know, it was a really interesting Father's Day thing, but also I thought that was a really great line just in terms of you know, Danny acknowledging the fact that, yeah, her dad was super nutso, which makes me, you know, hope a little bit that maybe she won't follow that same path just because she is so aware of it. Right. Of being of the potential of nuts. But also it's the inbreeding that makes them crazy. Right. <laughs> so like at a certain age, they just go nuts. He wasn't always the Mad King. Right. Yeah. He went mad he at went a certain mad. age. He went mad at the defiance of Duskendale. I'm sorry. I oh, know that. Wow. Yeah. He was he was held prisoner. And they say the chroniclers, the maesters at the Citadel say that Eris the Mad King fe- uh, fell into paranoia and madness after he was kidnapped and held prisoner. At Duskendale. Just so you know. You once told me you knew what your father was. Did you know his plans for King's Landing when the Lannister armies were at his gates? Probably not. Well, he told my brother, and Jamie told me. He had caches of wildfire hidden under the Red Keep, the Guild Halls, the Scepter Baylor, all the major thoroughfares. He would have burned every one of his citizens. The loyal ones and the traitors. Every man, woman, and child. That's why Jamie killed him. This is entirely different. You're talking about destroying cities. It's not entirely different. The books are still good for something. The books are still good. (laughs) Was Bran whispering to him? It's possible, yes. Hang on, he was here. Um, There was a thing I was... Oh, yeah, but doesn't, doesn't Daenerys say to... Yara, as they're coming to terms, like, I will, you will help me with your ships and I will help you take the throne back. She says, no reaving. Yes. No reaving, mm-hmm. no raiding, no mm-hmm. raping. Yep. Even though you are essentially Vikings. And she says, that's what we do because we're essentially Vikings. And she said, no, you won't. So I there you won't. are. Even there, even though she's, as you say, hungry for power, she at least has this moral compass. Well, I think that's what we were missing this entire season is her actually having conversations with people, right? I mean, Really, all you saw of Danny was threatening, was threatening, which and, is just like, oh, and, this is and proclaiming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was very few like that was the only scene we got of her talking about her past and how she really wanted to change I, I, things. Again, all season. again, maybe I don't know this. This to me is a, is a third act, not problem, but situation, i.e. We have had <laughs> what is it, season six. See, we've had five seasons of Daenerys, as I said, from basically being a teenager to being now the queen of marine and the, potent, the, the, the most powerful woman in the world. That's a lot of development. And at this point in our story, 
it's time to get a move on. Remember all of the complaining we did last season and the season <laughs> before that and the season... When is Danny going to get a move on? When is she going to stop complaining? Now and, we got some ships. Yeah. Now, now we can go. She she used to just... I remember we used to complain that she used to stand around looking really good in those Marinese gowns and not doing anything. And now she's doing something. She is. And you almost seem... It seems to me as if you're wishing that she had was more self-reflective and, and nice and thoughtful well, and had more I don't pillow know. talk You know, it's really Dario. funny... Thinking about the parallel to Hillary, honestly, like her resume is great. Yeah. I want to see her be a human person. Oh. You know what I mean? Like I just like those interactions, those genuine, honest, sincere interactions are what makes Danny so great. And when those are missing for me, it's just sort of like, oh, you're just like power hungry and ruthless. On the other hand, if there's anything that she would have learned from her experience in Marine and remember that the idea that she, I mean, she even said at one point, I think, two or three seasons ago, before I, I can rule Restros, I need to l- learn to rule. And she's been a Marine, and she's made a number of decisions which were merciful and kind, including putting the dragons away so they wouldn't eat any more children and, right. and, trying to, and getting engaged and trying to placate the people of Marine. And none of it really worked out terrifically well. They all brought on more problems. So to a certain extent, this is the character that has, in fact, been developed as someone who's a lot more ruthless and a lot less bothered by the moral compunctions that caused her problems in the past. Even then, if I had seen two minutes of her saying, I can't be nice anymore, that would have justified it to me. As it is, it just felt it felt superficial. Yeah, no, I, I think it worked. I was I was waiting for the scene with Yara, and then once we got it, I, yeah. was, I was in. I was yeah. game. Because I think that that was where we saw, because instead of her just making these speeches and saying her name over and over again and mm-hmm. talking about being a conqueror, we saw her make a political alliance. Yes. Right. And that, to me, was the first sign of like real leadership, not just speech-making, right. yes. that we've had in quite a while from her. And Truth. how about, and, and Tyrion, I, I don't want to forget about Tyrion, but he does seem, he's gone from being comic relief, as I complained about to being her kind of PR agent. Tell them, <laughs> tell them what happens with Daenerys Stormborn when you challenge her. You know, <laughs> she, and and even in that scene with Yara and Theon, where presumably he, having been in Westeros recently as an adult, which she never has. In fact, she's never she's she literally has never been there. She was born on a ship off the coast of mm-hmm. Westeros. He presumably could have in that scene, if they had wanted to push it a little different, by giving her advice. Well, this is this is who they are. This is the power they have. This is who they might help you with. This is who, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he didn't really get to do any of that. It's all Danny all the time and Tyrion standing going, you get him. You go, girl. <laughs> there was a small, very small moment of Danny looking at Tyrion before she shook Yara's hand. In part, I think it was supposed to be kind of a joke that Daenerys didn't understand what handshaking was. Oh, really? Well, because she looks at him and he kind of goes like, use your arm, like put your arm out and grab Yara's arm. And then they do their awkward uh, forearm clasp. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Yara kind of made eyes at her. You guys, you guys think that's in the future? I think it's hilarious and fantastic that she was just like. I would put money on that. Yeah. Yeah. That she was like, and you don't want, and there's no marriage proposal from you. And she was like, I'm game. I'm up for (laughs) whatever. Yeah. I, I think I think Yara, because we established that Yara basically is a guy when it comes to his, her view of other women. I think he was, she was just reacting to uh, Danny's looks the way that every other heterosexual and non-eunuched man in this TV series has. Well, and Daenerys, <laughs> as we mentioned, has has messed around with the ladies before too. Yeah, so once you never know, you never know. Let's not forget that the tagline for this show, when it was first being promoted, and I think through the first maybe couple of seasons, was all men must die. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're getting more and more women in power. Oh, yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I know. It is fun to think about. It's like Game of Thrones after dark. <laughs> <laughs> it is, if it was on Cinemax, you know what would happen. 
<laughs> you really think they meant all men must die to mean literally all men, though, and not just like people going down? Yeah. I think it means that men are bad at ruling and so they're all losing power. I don't think it means every peasant man must die. I think it means that right. all these, you know, boy kings of whatever age they were are all falling like flies. I think we've discussed this before. You're seeing a kind of Eowyn moment where like, no man, I'm no, I am no man. I don't think that's happening. I think it was just a slogan they came up with over at the HBO marketing department. Yeah. yeah. The, the women are surviving and the men are dropping like flies. Yeah, so we'll is, see. <laughs> that is certainly true. That's true. We do have a lot of women in the scene. So let's see. Does that do it for Marine? Is there anything Did left to mention? we discuss all of the things we wanted to discuss? So there's one other thing that was made clear in the Marine scenes that's actually about King's Landing, which, which is, is Tyrion lays out exactly where the wildfire is hidden mm-hmm. under the city. Oh, yes. That was discussed. It was like, if you didn't Google this, nerd, between <laughs> yeah. this week and last yes. episode, let yes. me lay out for you. There is wildfire under the sept. Right. And you, <laughs> Trissa, were, uh, last week were like seeing this coming. We're like, notice, I mean, you, you pointed out how often Cersei has said, I will burn a city down rather than see you hurt, whatever it may be. Now we know the wildfire's there. We've seen it in a vision. Tyrion just said, oh, this is where it happens to be. Even though none of the people in this room actually need to know this information, Mm -hmm. I bet viewers at home (laughs) might find this information useful coming up in the next episode. It's a nice little finale prediction, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't even just, it's out and about underneath King's Landing. The Sept, the Red Keep, (laughs) all the major thoroughfares. Yes. (laughs) Do they have, is is thoroughfare a word, apparently? I guess it is. (laughs) If gallivanting is a word in Westeros, then thoroughfare. There, they went gallivanting down the thoroughfare. (laughs) Yeah, to to run from the wildfire. Yeah, but I I think that, uh, and skipping ahead, I think that, You're absolutely right that there is going to be a major conflagration in the finale next week, uh, just as, because all signs point to it. They've been very obvious, much as all signs, skipping ahead now, pointed to the arrival of Littlefinger in that nick of time. All right, so we'll talk about that in just a minute. The Battle for Winterfell, which, by the way, if folks haven't done this yet and they have HBO Now or Go or whatever it is, <laughs> there's an inside the episode that's about 10 minutes long yeah. that talks about the anatomy of actually filming that battle scene. Oh, oh I did not see that. It's really fun to watch. It shows you from, you know, the horse wrangler on set to the CGI people to everyone. It sort of shows everything it took to, to make that happen. And it was really a stunning piece of, of film work. It more was horses, more, I mean... It was pretty great. I just really like your phrase, horse wrangler. It, it, the, the reason why the episode might have been such a good one is it, it's not as if it solved the narrative problems that I've been complaining about for a couple of episodes now. It put them entirely aside and handed over the episode to those people, to the cinematographers and the CGI guys and the stunt coordinators and the horse wranglers and that director whose name I don't remember, but as you pointed out, Trista, same guy who directed Hard Home last season. Mm. And who will direct the finale. And he, who mm. clearly knows what he is doing in terms of creating a, in the viewer a visceral sense of what this must be like. In fact, uh, because I am a nerd, I have watched a lot of battles on film over the years <laughs> Um, and this, I can't think of a better one that actually managed to make, uh, to create a feeling in the viewer, in me, a sense of like what this might be like 
to actually be in the middle of this. It was a little nauseating. It, it was, was a really little hard to watch. unsettling. Yeah. Just fit, like the the John getting trampled as he starts to sort of get buried further and further into this pile of, of dead, bodies. dead bodies. Yeah, and the way that they used the point of view in that was just. I mean, yeah, just this sense of like insane chaos and claustrophobia yeah. and terror. There's a there's a book called The Face of Battle by uh, John Keegan, who's a wonderful military historian. And after writing sort of standard military histories, i.e. this army moved here and was faced by this army, he wrote a book entirely about what it was like to be a soldier Oof. in particular periods of time, including medieval time. He writes about the Battle of Agincourt. And what he talks about for the main is chaos and terror and not like divisions moving and, you know, it's just, it's absolute a horror show, which is what it seemed like. It was pretty cool. And yet at the same time, and again, I give tremendous credit to people who made this episode, it was pretty clear what was happening yeah. in terms of like the larger battle. And that was really, again, impressive. It just created this real emotional stakes. Yay, guys. See, there. Are you happy, listeners? <laughs> Peter's happy. I'm Are you very happy? happy. I am throwing praise out left and right. So can we start pre-battle, though? I think there are a couple things that happen before that battle starts that yes. are worth discussing. Yes. Um, partly Sansa's conversation with John. She's still refusing to mention the fact that she called out for other troops. Why? I know this has been a a bugaboo for me the entire season from the moment when she met Littlefinger and refused his help to the moment when she refused to tell anybody about the fact that Littlefinger had offered help to the moment where she still refused but wrote in secret. Why would she do any of those things given her actual objective? winning the fight and killing Ramsay. It doesn't make any sense unless it was all pointed to that moment of uh, Littlefinger smirking as the Knights of the Knights of the Vale came to the rescue. I mean, that was pretty awesome. That was like, pretty like, awesome. Whew, thank and, God. And it was interesting. It was the second time that they have used the same technique, which is an aerial shot showing the effect of calorie on these mass soldiers. The first time, of course, which uh, Tormund Redbeard talked about. Yes. Said, oh, remember when that happened? That was two seasons ago when Stannis. That was two seasons ago when Stannis went went riding into the battle north of the wall. Oh yeah, I really liked the interaction between Davos and Tormund also before battle, the night before the battle. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really nice. Yeah, I loved the line. You want to avenge your king, don't you? It wasn't the Boltons defeated Stannis. Stannis himself. I love the man. He lifted me up and made me something. But he had demons in his skull whispering foul things. You saw these demons? What? No, it's a manner of speaking. Not actual demons. Oh. Well, you love that Constanis, and I loved the man he burned. Mans didn't have demons in his skull. He didn't torture people or listen to some red witch. I believed in him. I thought he was the man to lead us through the long night. But I was wrong just like you. Maybe that was our mistake, believing in kings. Jon Snow's not a king. No, he's not. You know, that was a really nice moment. I think, again, I'm a, I'm a fan always of the sort of sidekick chief of staff character (laughs) compared to the actual person who wants the power. The Leo McGarry's of the situation. But I thought that was a really nice moment between these two guys who are 
sort of the the right hand men of people, yeah. right? Tormund was Mance's and now John's, and Davos was Stannis's and now John's sort yeah. of too. But to see these guys who know that you know they're as likely to die as anyone, they don't really have all the power, but they're doing their best to to sort of create a situation where they can all live another day. Well, it is true that John was outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned, and he yes. certainly did need a right-hand man. Yes. <laughs> so good. You love it. They love it. Okay, so the other major plot point that is worth bringing up is Davos going on that little stroll. Little, little stroll and finding that little... Um, and finding the toy he had Which made I hadn't Shereen. remembered, and t- but they focused yeah, on that. Well, yeah, and... Previously yeah, the, on. The previously, previously on was said, Remember that little that. thing? And, and if you saw, obviously, the coming up on on mm-hmm. next week's finale episode, sh- he is going to have words with Melisandre about that very thing. It's, it's amazing to me that he hasn't asked about it to this point. Remember, he tried, yeah. and then Brienne walked up and said, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. to interrupt it. But he, he never went back and said, hey, you know that thing about Shireen, that girl I loved, and she was really awesome? What happened to her? Where'd she? Did she what? Yeah, it kind of felt like willful ignorance almost. You yeah. Know, the fact well, he's had other things to think like about. Didn't come up. Again, they needed to delay the confrontation right. until That's the last true. episode, That's which is why true. it all worked out this way. The puppet string show. Can we talk about the, uh, the I don't know what you want to call it, a parley between the two parties? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. which turns out to be, I, I can't, I'm going to say his name wrong. I think it's Reese or Reese Isfan, the guy, Iwan, who plays, it's a Welsh name, I can't pronounce it, who plays Ramsay. It was his, it was, as we found out, it was his last great Ramsay-like aria. And man, Thank you for bringing me back my wife. Oh, he was, oh, I've missed you so. Is that what he said, something like that? Dude. Yeah. So, so and, and And Sansa had yeah, the line... Man. Had, that was great, you know. <laughs> You're going to die tomorrow. Sleep well. Yes. That was pretty cold. She was pretty bad. Then she just badass. makes her exit yeah, before I liked, everyone else is ready to leave. What I yeah. would have liked to see then was like everybody else being like, okay, well, I guess we're, I guess we're done here. Yeah. So, see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've talked about that before, the difference between real life and television. Yeah. In, in, in television, you get exit lines. In real life, you're like, well, okay. <laughs> All, All right. right. Yeah. So listen, tomorrow, <laughs> 8 a.m., We'll be here. Okay. We've got to wait for this elevator now. So yeah. that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That never happened. Um, and I, I did want to point out that Sansa, in general, has, with the massive exception of not mentioning Littlefinger in his in his army, uh-huh. has been pretty smart this last few episodes, including her accurate prediction of what was going to happen to poor old Rickon. Yeah. As she says, he's dead because he is a threat to. Ramsay's claim. And what she didn't mention but was true is that Rickon was only of use to Ramsay to lure them to this fight. And mm-hmm. once that's accomplished, mm-hmm. he has no more value. Trisha, did you call that also before? Or do I just assume now that you remember that you predicted everything? <laughs> I, I don't think I predicted specifically what would play out. I still thought that there was a, a chance that maybe there was a Rickon uh, subplot that involved uh, Lord Umber being oh, yeah. still loyal yeah. to the Starks yeah, or something that, like that. Just, there was a that lot really of conspiracizing out. and secrets. And I have to say I'm kind of glad that none of those that, that anybody has been suggesting all through this season, i.e. the whole fight club <laughs> aspect of the Waif and Arya and the Umbers and all that, none of that took place. It was all happening as we saw it. There were no secret twists awaiting us. And I, for one, am glad. I will say I think that the culture of that on the internet that surrounds Game of Thrones exists in part because this is not a show that you can binge. If this was a show that was released by HBO a la a Netflix show like Orange is the New Black was this weekend where the weekend has passed and I have now watched the whole season, 
<laughs> nice work. Um, thank you. It was impressive. I yeah. <laughs> um, but y- we have seven days in between these episodes to just chat with each other and come up with theories and everything. And I think if we lose episodic television being released this way, we'll lose yeah. part of the fun to oh, me. Oh, absolutely. Is not necessarily even believing all the theories, but just sort of doing the thought experiment of some yeah. of these different things. And so I hope that we still, as like media shifts to like a more binge culture and a drop the whole season at once culture, we still for some shows get to do this, which is fun, which is to say what's going to happen next instead of autoplay, autoplay, next, autoplay. Next, next. Well, think... kids, when I was a boy, that's all we had. <laughs> you had to not only did you have to wait a week for the next episode of Gilligan's Island or whatever it might have been. But you actually had to be sitting in front of your television at the correct time to watch it. Yes, I know. (laughs) I think the other thing, too, that makes the theories so prevalent these days and which I think is funny why you don't like them, Peter, is that it's because there aren't books anymore. Yeah, I know. And like you said, we're all trying to sort of assert you control know. over over the narrative, even though this, those of us who are smug because we so, read yeah, the books. So yeah, it's really no adorable power. that you're you're smug about the people now who are That's trying funny. to be smug. <laughs> there's really always good. a way for me to be smug. <laughs> Whatever door, there's a flow chart in which there's yes and no choices and they all end with me being smug. Did you guys think, as Rickon started running for it, that he was going to make it or not? I mean, once it was clear that he didn't think to zigzag, I knew he was going to die. (laughs) I was going to make this joke, but the New York Times recapper already made it, which is Peter Falk yelling, Serpentine! Serpentine! (laughs) Oh, God. Do you guys even recognize that reference? It's a a comic bit from the movie The In-Laws, which is a very funny movie. Anyway, and it became sort of a cultural touchstone. Before you two were born. <laughs> but yes, on the other hand, if I were Rickon, I would have run flat out as fast as I could because it's terrifying. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, that scene, the battle was hard to watch, but I think that scene in particular was very, very difficult to watch. You know, and John, like his whole weird thing where he like got off the horse and then was like, oh, no, and gets back on the horse. It was just like yeah. it was just so <laughs> painful to yeah. watch for so many well, reasons. And, and everything that Sansa said came true basically exactly. Yes. Yeah. Don't she said do it was what happen. he wants you to He's do. He's going to play a game with you. Yeah. He's going to use Rickon. Yeah. Oh, God. Although it was interesting so because, I mean, when Ramsey appeared and sort of pulled out Rickon, you're like, who's that? Because yeah. I mean, they could have used any actor in the world, and we would have said, okay, that's Rickon. We haven't sure. seen him. And the last time we saw him, he's a little boy. I'm assuming it was the same actor. You know, that poor kid, whoever he is, like, yeah. well, when you were six, you got to be on Game of Thrones five years ago. For a hot minute. For a hot minute. And then you get to come back <laughs> and die. Yeah. yeah. He did have his scene of looking surly when Umber brought him back. So he had seen him once before in this season. Yeah. I wondered if... and. This would have been, I think, in keeping with Ramsey's character, but maybe they just didn't have time to show us this evolution in the show or they just thought it was like too too repetitive to show Ramsey actually just abuse another person. But the other thing I worried would happen is that he would show up and he would have been sort of reekified that that yeah, yeah. that Rickon would have been taken from him who he was yeah. and be like the sort of pet of Ramsey. And, and you know, that that would have been the heartbreaking thing to see that as well. Not just that he was going to die, but that he had been really abused yeah, heavily. that was that was definitely my biggest concern because it's like you know he's got to keep the guy alive, right? right? But, but like, much yeah, Ramsey, Ramsey yeah. of all people is pretty good at keeping people alive and still really That's like true. destroying them. It's just interesting that the the emotional weight of that death has nothing to do with the character of whom we know nothing about, but the fact that yet another Stark kid went down, as it were, and that yeah. and that has kind of an emotional resonance for viewers because there's there's not a lot of Starks left. There's Bran, Sansa, Arya. They don't know Arya's still alive. We do. Um, they don't know Bran's still alive. That's true. That's mm-hmm. right. As far as they're concerned, as far, that's, that's an interesting point. I'd forgotten about that. As far as Sansa and John are aware, they're the last remaining Stark children, and John might not even be one. 
cousins. Two more deaths. One, one. One, one, the giant. Because as a friend I was watching the episode with last night said, giants break through doors and then they die. Is that really? Because that's what the other giant does in the the Oh, yeah, Yeah. of course. He's trying to get through the the tunnel underneath the wall. Yeah, and, and one, one, I mean, they hadn't spent the time that they have spent establishing my enthusiasm for one, one without <laughs> playing it off with a noble death. Yeah. So it was sad. It was sad to see him go. And he did suffer. He looked like a porcupine with all those arrows. Yeah. And I felt bad good, for though. him. And of course the person who put him, who killed him one last mean thing was Ramsey in the eye. Oof. That was, that was like, Oh, Ramsey Bolton. You, suck. you will die. And then Ramsey, as we see, gets beaten up. Punch, 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 and then fed to the dogs. My hounds will never harm me. You haven't fed them in seven days. You said it yourself. They're loyal beasts. They were. Now they're starving. So it has come. We have talked about it. We have anticipated it. We called it like it was hard to do that Ramsey's got to go. Were you satisfied with Ramsey's exit? I liked it a lot. (laughs) I really did. Trisha was rubbing her hands together. I really liked it a lot. I thought thought it played out well. I thought that having John lose control and just go fists on him as opposed to a spear or an arrow or anything like that. It had to be really brutal, right? Right. It had to be really hands-on. And then for him to be doing that and have basically almost lost himself in that moment and then see Sansa. Yeah, that was And like with no words, him just realize this is not my life to take. Somebody else gets to do this. And uh, I mean, you know, they set up the line of like, the dogs are so hungry earlier in the episode. Did you see that coming? Once they said that, yeah. yeah, You were like, oh, I bet he's going to get eaten. I I noticed two things about it. First of all, before... Well, first of all, who exactly let the dogs out? If you'd excuse I was, me, Ayo. that was the one thing I didn't that didn't make sense to me. These ravenous, rabid, hungry dogs are all just sitting there waiting, until waiting. the right moment, moment where the dialogue set. is over. Exactly, because I mean, you know, obviously they didn't want to. I won't say pollute. I'll say complicate the scene with other people who would be needed to, you know, let the dogs in or place Ramsay in that cell, whatever it was, or in the kennels. Um, because they wanted it to be between Sansa and Ramsay. Do you guys? Do you think it needed to be that graphic? Like I was like, oh, they're going to show the dog eating his face now. Well, they didn't really. They <laughs> used mean, shadows. They, they, they kind of did. There, there was it was very strongly implied that the dog started yeah, with, with, I, with a nice amuse bouche of eating his bouche. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought that. Uh, you know, in other scenes like that, the sounds have been really strong, oh, yeah. but it's been, oh, yeah. and the sounds were strong in this one too, but the visuals were also like a lot more graphic than I was, well, I think, thought they were going to be. I guess they wanted people to have that satisfactory, satisfactory ending. We've mm-hmm. talked about this a mm-hmm. lot. Like, what's a good satisfactory ending? It is interesting, and also I thought pointed that Sansa says, no one will ever, you, you, your, your house will be forgotten, your name will be forgotten, like, everything you've ever done will amount to nothing before she kills him or has him killed, however you want to put it. It reminded me of a, of a really great moment. I don't know if the writers had it in mind. At the very end of the movie, Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. If you remember that movie. It's an excellent what did, movie. Did you just call it a labyrinth? 
What am I, what am I supposed to call it? I don't know. I've always called them labyrinths. Probably it's labyrinth. I don't okay. know. Sorry. Keep going. I grew up reading a lot and not talking that much, That's believe fair. it or not. That's fair. I'm sorry. I've, to... I've made up for it in intervening <laughs> in the subsequent years. But anyway, Pan's Labyrinth then, uh, if you remember this movie correctly, it's a bit of a spoiler, so turn it off Do if you haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth. Will. The villain is quite a villain and has a son and he is facing, he's been defeated by the good guys and the good guys he knows are about to execute him. And he says, and they also have his baby son, and he says, remember to tell him who I was and how I died. And they say, he will never know you existed. Mm-hmm. And then they shoot him in the head, which I thought was the coldest, coldest thing ever. And this was along those lines. The only problem with that is that you never got the sense that Ramsey really cared in the sense of his legacy or his achievement. He just wanted power and he wanted to hurt people and he wanted to dominate everybody. So what did you guys think about that line, I will always be a part of you? I think that the Sansa is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Is that really? what you're saying? Yeah. That, so that's been a question is the way she phrased that with Littlefinger and then the way he said it again, I will always be a part of you. I still don't think she is because I think they would have given more nods between the time they were meeting mm-hmm. in Molestown to now. Like mm-hmm. at least a few months have gone by. Yeah. They're not doing anything with like her dress to like make yeah, it seem yeah, like yeah. she's quote unquote hiding her pregnancy yeah. or anything like that. So I'm I'm glad that they're not taking it in that direction because I think – for one, it was, it's just a horrible thing to have had happen to Sansa, God. and she's had enough horrible things happen R- to her. Remind me who says, I will always be a part of you, to whom? Ramsay says that to her right before he dies. Oh, I didn't So uh, that's sort of, you know, in, in conjunction with this idea of your house, will, you know, no one will ever know your yeah. name, blah, yeah. blah, blah. You know, for him then to respond with like, mm, mm. sort of how that could be interpreted, I also think it would be really terrible. And it seems a little feeble in, in terms of, you know, they could have hinted towards it more. There's been a lot of attention paid to the legacy of surviving abuse, actually. Remember, it was Sansa's speech, I think, to Littlefinger in that earlier scene that we were talking about where she says something to the effect of, you know, it, it, I, I think it, it stays with me and not like the memory, but I actually feel what he did to me every day. I mean, and I think they were giving... They were, they were giving her a voice that actual rape survivors talk about, that they don't say, oh, it's psychically damaging. No, it, it was physically traumatic in a way that I carry with me. And maybe – and that's what Ramsey does. He physically tortures people and changes right, them. Right. So maybe all that was, even though it's a terrible thing, is, is a reminder that I have harmed you. Mm-hmm. I have hurt you because that's what I do. I'm Ramsey Bolton. Yeah. And, and no matter what you do to me now, I, my vengeance has already been taken on you. Could be. I think it's certainly possible. I thought it was nice that they just had to go quickly get those Stark banners out of storage. Yes. <laughs> well, if you're a modern <laughs> castle, you always want to be ready for whatever, if, you know, you have them ready in the, in the storeroom. You, you don't want to be caught unawares. Yeah. It's, just like, it's just like if you're a modern baseball team, you want to have the different color uniforms ready. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. I have it ready. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's like like guys in the basement at Winterfell who you never see because they're not soldiers and they're not you know servants. They're just they're just the tailors and they're like, oh, I get we should we should get some Stark banners ready. How do you think the battle's going? All right, could we get some Stark oh, banners? <laughs> the thing is, the battle was going so terribly for so long they that like so when is the moment really they call fast. it? You know? Yeah. Do you guys have any predictions, or do you want to get to this? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's listen to some voicemails in a moment, and we can talk a little bit about predictions too. How does that sound? Sure.
Okay, voicemail o'clock. So, Peter, I think we should start with some reactions to last episode, actually, and yes. then we'll do some predictions sure. and more discussion about what happened in this most recent episode. So I made a montage of people who were responding to your uh, dissatisfaction, shall yes. we say. So let's take a listen. Oh, guys. <laughs> I hate even calling about this. I hate saying it because I love your Nerdette podcast. I love this podcast. The Peter Dude, you're killing me with this negativity. <laughs> you know, you're wondering what happened to the writing on the show and the plot and everything. I'm wondering what happened to you, man. <laughs> Hi, this is Jay from South Carolina. And I'd like to encourage Peer to continue his fight against banal writing because according to the evidence of this particular season, they definitely need it. Thank you, and I'll take the answer off the air. <laughs> hey, I just had a comment for you guys. After listening to the last couple episodes, I think we need to get Peter a stag crown because he's <laughs> oh. whining worse than King Tallman. <laughs> oh, right, oh, that is a deep cut. And Isn't I don't mean like, I mean like that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, try, I tried to make it a little balanced. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a podcast about a TV show. <laughs> I am allowed to say mean things about the TV show, and you are allowed to not like that. I think this is all fair game. It's true. So, yeah. I thought, you were channeling yeah. some people's anger Obviously. and other people, I think, are maybe a little defensive because they're feeling what you're feeling, yes, too, but I they're know. trying to not they're let trying, it it's, creep it's in tough. to their I love of the love show. That. What happened to you, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so good. All right. So let's take a listen to another one. Well, I hope that resolves the question of if there is a cathartic death for a villain. Because Ramsey meeting his end the way he did was incredibly cathartic. Go Sansa. Love the show. Thank you, guys. Would it have been more cathartic if he had pleaded, whined, mm. evinced mm-hmm. terror more than like, oh, no, they're not going to eat me, and then a couple of screams? Would, would we, did we, I mean, in a weird way, Ramsey remained defiant until the very, Ramsey-like, until the very end, until the moment where he started yelling. And would we have liked it or would we have not bought it if he pleaded for his life, if he apologized, if he did something that was kind of craven? I wouldn't have bought it. Yeah. I think he's he's a psychopath. Yeah. He's not like Theon. When Theon did bad things, he was doing them because he was trying to be something he wasn't. Right. Right. When he burns the two orphan boys and right, pretends right, right. they're Stark boys. There's pain for him in that process the whole way, even though he's doing it in service of trying to gain power and trying to seem tough. Ramsey, it's almost like from the beginning we find out that he likes – he also likes pain when we see him with his – is it Miranda? Oh, yes. The late lamented, often naked Miranda. He likes (laughs) – he likes to feel pain too. He's a masochist yeah. in 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 a way that I don't think it would have made sense for him to plead for his life. I think his whole like, well, this is how our story ends line made sense for him. Well, and I really liked I mean, I think I would never have guessed that it would be death by his own dogs, which there is kind of a nice circular oh, yeah. notion of that just in terms of retribution, right? Yeah. Like this horrible thing that he's been imposing on other people is happening to him. And I did really love his confidence that like, oh no. They won't eat me. Yes. They know yeah. me. Yeah. That was like that to me was sort of like his version of the pleading, right? It was him being like, oh, this can't possibly, this can't possibly like I happen. reject this notion I, entirely. I mean, I know that it, I agree with you, Tricia, that if he had whined, pleaded, cried, whatever, it would have been unsatisfying. We would have felt, no, man, that's not Ramsey. Ramsey, as you say, is, 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 is a cool, calm, collected psychopath. I just wonder in real life, would 
in real life, gosh. <laughs> I know. I mean, right. You know what I think about? I think about, of all things, the famous um, Hitler in the bunker internet memes, which is based <laughs> on a real movie called, I think it's called The Final Days. It's about Hitler. And, and what you see what happens when an actual psychopath starts to lose. And what happens is, is he goes crazy because he's a psychopath. And in his world, nothing is ever his fault. He never deserves anything bad. I mean, I mean, like I said, there's a sense of almost like Ramsey is aware that this is just. Yes, I have tortured and tormented you and killed your family and been awful. Now you have me in your power and you will kill me. And that is how the world should go. I don't know if somebody as crazy as Ramsey would actually sort of have that kind of sense of balance. Like, yeah, okay, you win. Kill me. But also, he, I think, to Greta's point, the dog sort of slowly creeps up, climbs up in front of his face. (laughs) First he licks him on the nose or whatever. And then the first moment he would have to realize and articulate that this isn't going to end well, his jaw gets bitten off. Yes. It's fun to imagine uh, that that scene except with your corgi, Greta. (laughs) Scout would Dude, never. that is rude. <laughs> Scout would never do such a That's thing. That's what Ramsey thought. <laughs> but it would, wouldn't it be hilarious her. if, like, he's sitting there and all of a sudden the gate pulled back and... <laughs> there was a cor- cor- Scout the corgi Some comes up. vicious corgis. <laughs> it was, I actually saw some stuff on Twitter before I got to that scene about... Ramsey's dogs and I wasn't sure what the outcome was going to be of the whole thing yet and yeah. I got real nervous just because you know parenthetically those dogs. What, what do you do with Ramsey's dogs now yeah that's a really good question yeah well maybe we'll see I was kind of worried Ramsey was going to bring him out because he almost could have gotten the upper hand again I yeah think. and he does use them to like attack people right right like yeah that. he could have just kind of let him loose on everybody when they were breaking in yeah but uh, we have another voicemail from this episode. Let's do the giant one. That's kind of a fun one. Hi, my name is Leah, and I'm calling while watching for the second time the Battle of Jon Snow. And I'm wondering why doesn't the giant have some giant weapons? It seems like he should. All right. Thank you. Bye. Trisha, you just threw your arms up in indignation because we had this conversation as we were watching the episode last night. The, my friends who were over, we were like, why doesn't he have like a whole tree as just a big club or yeah, something? Yeah, that would be useful as opposed he, to using his big old hand. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, just something. <laughs> even if it wasn't, you know, if no one could forge him a giant sword, yeah. he could at least have a tree right. that he was just hurling at people. Right. But well, yeah. Did the Ents do that in Lord of the Rings? Mm. Do they pick up things and hit people with them? I have this vague memory of that. But yeah, you're right. Or why doesn't he have a big sword or a big club, like a classic giant yeah, a club, club with the spikes nice. in it, as we have all seen yeah. over the... Because then he could have just done like a little half moon I think swing. it would have it tipped the tables. It would have been too much of an... You know, it's like the dragons, right? Like yeah. if you have that, then like, are you really the underdog? I yeah. think that's probably yeah. why from I a think, practical I think you're right. Can we listen to one more? This is a nice one. Hey guys, how you doing? Love the show. I just wanted to say... After watching last night's episode, I just think it's amazing the contrast of Jon Snow leaving Winterfell, you know, a young, you know, green-eared boy and, you know, not really knowing much about the world. And he comes back and the first scene you see of him getting back in Winterfell is him drenched in blood after a long battle, you know, fighting to take his home back. I just thought it was a cool narrative, the parallels. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thanks. 
Yeah, it fits uh, what we were saying about Daenerys in terms of you know, we remember who these people were when we met them. And again, if you haven't recently and you have some time, um, go back and watch an episode from the first season and you'll be struck by a number of things. Not only the difference in tone between that season and this, but also how young those actors were. Mm-hmm. It's been, what, seven years in real time since they started production? So the actors themselves have grown. The characters have grown in ways that real people do. And I will also say this, although I don't think this is specifically his point, they really did cover Jon Snow with gore. I mean, they they had like, there must have been like a special gore wrangler just to to get him gunked up. Because, yeah, it it goes back to what we were saying about the battle. They they stressed the realism of that kind of fight in a mud with swords. And Sansa, too, coming home to Winterfell. I think they both... I mean, it's interesting to remember, too, like you were saying, that they feel like they're about the only family each other has left. Yeah. Because as they joked in the episode where she first gets to the wall, it wasn't like John was actually treated very well by the other Stark children. No. And it wasn't like that place was just a, a warm, happy home in his memory. You know, Catelyn was always terrible to him. And, you know, they don't have the same experiences, but now they're all each other has left. And mm-hmm. so when we see in the next time on yeah. when John says we have to work together, we have so many enemies now, I think there's going to be a question that he's going to have about why he wasn't informed about Littlefinger coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's going to come to a head finally. And they're going to have to maybe talk out. That question that we all have, which is, what is she thinking when it comes to that? I wonder if that will happen, if John will ever turn to her and say, why didn't you tell me? The or like, what are we supposed to do with this Littlefinger guy now? How yeah. are, how can you trust him? Yeah, Littlefinger is absolutely, I mean, is it time to move into predictions for the finale? Sure. Because Littlefinger is absolutely going to play a, a major role yeah. and is going to demand something one way or another. And keep in mind, also, I mean, you rule in this world with an army. I mean, Right. The Starks used to have one. They don't anymore. So even though they've taken over Winterfell, they've got a, a ragtag band of their own fighters who were pretty much decimated, and they've got the Knights of the Vale. That's who they have to hold Winterfell and dominate the North. So, you And know. so does Littlefinger need to marry Sansa? Uh, I, I think that's what he's getting at in that line. There was definitely a shot, yeah, of him staring at her. You know what I want. <sighs> so what do you think? Are we going to see more Arya, or is that it for the season? kind of wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see more Arya. I, I wouldn't be surprised. It would be fun if she showed up. It would be a quick trip across the <laughs> Narrow Sea and uh, most of Westeros. But at the same time, I, I, it also seems as if they put a real button on Arya's plot arc. Mm-hmm. Last episode, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home. And they're going to have a lot of other issues they need to deal with, right. including the trial, which we know is going Ugh. to happen. Mm-hmm. The conflagration, metaphoric or real, that will then follow. Um, and... Remember, Brienne went to the Riverlands for no real purpose so far. So they have to have something in mind for her. I would be utterly stunned if we don't see Brienne in the last episode because otherwise her trip down there means nothing. It accomplished nothing. Um, and it, you know, it was just a waste of time. One other little thing about the end of the Winterfell scene that I thought was great was that the shield that John picks up to save himself from yeah. the arrows that Ramsey's firing, yeah. has a bear on it from Bear Island. Oh. So they may have only had 62 men and Tiny but showed up. But they showed up. Good and I, guess Bobita. what? Without that shield, John would be dead. That's and true. Not only that, Lady we forgot to mention something, which is that at the Parley scene, when you know somebody says, you and your, your, your paltry army, they pan over, and there she is, that 10-year-old sitting a horse, looking pretty <laughs> damned regal. And you know what she's thinking? is like, I'm here. We're here. 
You better watch your mouth. Bear Island represented. Yeah, absolutely. Womp womp. Is, is a horse a word like that? Sitting a horse? Sitting a horse. Is that a thing? I think you can. I do. like I it a lot. Sitting a horse. Can, cool. I think, I think, sitting and, a horse. I think, uh, I think at one point, uh, uh, Samwell's mean father says, can you even sit a horse? Mm, okay. Fair enough. Thank you for that clarification. My pleasure. We would also, of course, love hey, to Hey, what hear... happened to Samwell? We haven't oh, seen him. <laughs> Last we saw him, he took his father's sword and ran. And we, what happened to him? Are we going to see him again? <laughs> this is a very good question. I don't know. I feel like we have to see at least a little bit, right? Yeah, where'd he go? What's huh. he doing? And in the theory that now <laughs> it is time for major characters to start interacting with each other and stop just having these little sidetrack things, yeah. I think if Jorah's going to go anywhere to try to figure out how to cure Grayscale, he's going to go to Old Town. Yeah. And then Sam can be in Old Town. And then, you know. I don't know. There's a they can lot hang of out in old town. stuff that has to be resolved or at least mentioned. But not and, next week necessarily. Yeah, but I know. mean, they got to fit so much into one hour of television. It'll be surprising. It's going to be a 69-minute episode, so that'll help. Oh, it's the yeah. longest good. episode they've ever put out. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Trisha is just so full of good information. You have all the facts, <laughs> Trisha. That's why she is our maester. <laughs> We also want you to join the conversation with your predictions, your hopes, your dreams, your fears. You know, any criticism of Peter Segel also is warmly. <laughs> Can I just say <laughs> there sorry. may not be any reason to do so. But it is allowed to criticize Trisha or Greta. It is allowed. It's you can do that. Allowed. There is no rule against I think, it. I think hey, if just... you read the iTunes reviews, they're just as cranky with Greta yeah, and they really are with yeah. you. I'm a wet blanket. Are you? Yeah. That's okay. Aww. I know. See, That's now, why I liked I'll, when you were last now, week. I'm, af- I'm offended on your behalf. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. She's I She's not a wet blanket. That. She is a dry blanket. No oh. one can protect her. No one can protect anyone. <laughs> So, yeah, give us a call, 312-948-4687. You can also find us online at nerdatpodcast.com. We're at Nerd at Podcast on Twitter. He's at Peter Sagel. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us because, in fact, you are already listening to us. But we would really love it if you subscribed on iTunes or followed us on NPR One. Just search for Nerd at Recaps. And don't forget that you can listen to the regular Nerd at Show. In the most recent episode, we talked to Tig Notaro and Gillian Flynn who are both good at making sad stuff really interesting and entertaining in various ways. I think fans of Game of Thrones would also like Gone Girl. I feel like there's a creepiness in both. Yes. There's a crazy person. There's a crazy person in both. Also, we would like to thank people who have said nice things about us on iTunes. Thanks for Blimey1985, Fun For Your Ears, and Dork Chic for saying nice things about us. Is Dork Chic an adjective? Or was that a name of a person? Um, I, I think it's a sequence of adjectives that, yes, okay, the so person they said has they chosen to describe you as dork chic. No, no, no. They are dork chic. Oh, they but are dork chic. Because I would say that dork chic is an adjective that you guys should take. <laughs> it's dork. Nerdette. It's dork chic. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. This show is produced by us with help from WBEZ's Joe Dassault and Robert Anderson. Thanks also to our interns, Maya Cole and Sebron Mallard. Joel Meyer is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. See you next week, nerds. See ya. See ya. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.